Mike Bro uh, was a pastor down in Kentucky, uh, Southland Christian Church. And uh, Mike was telling a story about a warm summer evening when he was outside at his house. And as he was outside, he was looking around, uh, and he noticed the, the lights in the sky. He noticed the, the moon and the stars and how they, they lit up the sky and how they lit up the, the, the world around him. And, and then he noticed some distant lights at a factory off in the distance that were lighting up the sky. And he was just examining these different lights that he saw. And all of a sudden, another light came by, and it, and it captured his attention. And it was a lightning bug. And it just flew right in his field of vision, and, and it kind of startled him for a minute, and he realized something about being a parent. He realized something about family. He realized that he doesn't necessarily have to be the biggest light, and he doesn't necessarily have to be the brightest light. But if he wants to make a positive difference in his family, if he wants to have a positive influence in his kids' lives, then he has to be the closest light. He doesn't have to be the biggest. He doesn't have to be the brightest. He just has to be the closest. See, that lightning bug captured his attention because it was so close. Again, just a tiny little light, but it was right here. And the same thing goes for us as moms and dads, as grandma and grandpa, as members of families. We don't necessarily have to be the biggest light. We don't necessarily have to be the brightest light. We just have to be the closest to make that difference for Jesus in our families. And I think about this in light of my own family, in light of my own son, and how uh, I don't necessarily, uh, there's all kinds of things that are going to vie for his attention. There's all going to be all kinds of things that try and, and pull his attention and his affection and, and if I want him to love Jesus with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength, which is what I want more than anything in this world, is I want my son to grow up and love God, and I want him to love other people, and I want him to live his life for Jesus. And if I want that to happen, that I don't necessarily have to be the biggest or the brightest light. There's things that I can't compete with in his life. But if I will be close to him, if I will spend time with him, if I will invest my life in his the chances of that happening are far greater than if I am a bright light at a distance or a big light at a distance. I'd rather be a tiny light right up in his face and be very, very close to him so that he knows that he is loved not only by me and by his mother, but by God. And that if I will stay close to him, I can have that kind of influence and impact in his life that will impact his eternity. And that's what I want the most. And I, I don't know about you, but, but maybe you want that same kind of thing. Maybe you want that for your kids, or you want that for your grandkids. Maybe you want that for your, your spouse or your significant other. Maybe you want that for your, uh, your uh, parents, if your parents are still living and, and they're not walking with the Lord. And, and today we're going to talk a little bit about how we can have that kind of influence, how we can have that kind of impact in, in their lives. Uh, how we can uh, be that close light and how we can invest our time and our efforts to be that lightning bug that God, I believe God wants us to be. So we're all part of a family, right? In, in one way or another, whether it's you know your sister or your brother, if it's your children, uh, if you have kids or your grandkids, if you've got grandkids or if it's your parents, we're all part of a family and family is God's idea. 
God came up with the very first family when he created men and women and said, be fruitful and multiply. He wanted us to be fruitful and multiply. And we've done a pretty good job, about 7 billion people on the planet. But he wanted us to be fruitful and multiply and to create families. And families was, were God's idea. And, and, and the problem is, is that we kind of messed them up. When it came to sin and when sin entered the world, it messed up families. Families were great. Adam and Eve got along perfectly. And then sin entered the picture and it messed the whole thing up. It, when sin entered the picture, uh, Adam and Eve started to blame each other. They played the blame game. And, and Adam blames God. And then he blames his wife. He says, God, if it wasn't for this woman that you gave me, this never would have happened. So he blames God. And then you, got Adam, then you have Eve who blames the serpent, blames her husband. They start playing this blame game, and they turn on one another. And then they're kicked out of the garden, and they have children. They have two sons, Cain and Abel. The very first sibling rivalry takes place. How many of you have brothers and sisters? How many of you had sibling rivalry when you were growing up? My brother and I used to fight like cats and dogs. He's two years younger than me. And uh, we used to fight like crazy. And uh, we would fight all the time. That sibling rivalry started way back when, when Cain killed Abel because he was jealous of his sacrifice and jealous of the favor he received from God. I'll tell you a little funny story about the only two stitches I have in my, my body. Uh, uh, they're from my brother. Uh, we were... My brother's bigger than me, and I mean, he's, he's like three inches taller than me, three, four inches taller than me, and he outweighs me uh, by a lot. Uh, and uh, when we were in high school, he wrestled, and he uh, played football, and uh, I, I played trombone. And uh, so we, uh, one day we were, we were deciding we were going to trade punches. How many of you used to do that? Any of you used ever played tra- trading punches with your siblings? Okay, so you trade punches, right? It's like, bam, and then he's like, bam, and I'm like, Bam. And he's like, bam. And I'm like, ah. And so we made a rule that you could duck, okay? If you could duck out of the way of the other person, uh, then, uh, you know, they wouldn't hit you, <laughs> obviously. So I, I ducked out of the way. And, and, and as I ducked, I hit my face on a bedpost. And then he hit me in the back of my head. And my teeth went through my lip right here. And we were both like, oh no! <laughs> and there's like blood squirting out of my face. I'm trying to grab washcloths and hold it up. And it bled for an hour. And I'm like, don't tell mom, don't tell mom, don't tell mom. Finally, he had to tell mom because my face wouldn't stop bleeding. And I had to go and have stitches put in my face. It's that sibling rivalry though. And he and I, we get along great now. We get along great. We have a wonderful relationship. I love my brother like a brother because he's my brother. And uh, we have this great relationship now, but it wasn't always that way. It wasn't always that way. And maybe that's your situation. Maybe you don't have a great relationship with your siblings, or you don't have a great relationship with your kids or your grandkids, or you don't have a great relationship with your parents. And getting along with your family is something that not only causes you a lot of pain and heartache, but it also causes you a lot of anxiety. And it's hard. Being in a family is hard, and we see that all the way back in the garden, uh, uh, just after the Garden of Eden. Being in a family is hard. And today I want to talk about 
being in a family. I want to talk about loving your family. We're, we're going through a series called The Seven Laws of Love, and it's based on this book uh, by a pastor and author named Dave Willis. And last week we talked about loving your spouse. And uh, if you missed last week and you want to see the sermon, it's available on our website at gfcc.net. Uh, and we talked about the, the ideals for being a husband and ideals for being a wife last week found in Scripture. And today we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses four, uh, starting in verse 4. And we're going to look through verse 8 as we talk about a very famous passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 13. It's called the love chapter. Perhaps it's a chapter, uh, some verses that were read maybe at your wedding or you've heard them before. You may have them on a plaque at your house. Uh, if you brought your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians 13. If you didn't bring your Bible, you can grab one out of the chair in front of you. It's on page 813 um, of the Bible in the, in the chair in front of you. Uh, or if you have your smartphone or tablet, you want to use your favorite Bible app to look it up, you can do that too. But I want to read from 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 4, and we're going to read through the very first part of verse 8. And then we're going to talk about what this means, and then we're going to talk about what it means in light of our families. And, and you've probably, like I said, you've probably heard this before. And uh, Paul writes to the Corinthians who are having a lot of problems with love. And he says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now, one of the, there's two interesting things about this that you can't really pick up on in the English that are there in the original language. Uh, one of them is, is the word love. Uh, the word love in this instance is the word agape. It's a Greek word that means unconditional love. It means that there are no conditions on my love, that I'm going to love you no matter what. I'm going to love you and there's nothing you can do about it. Okay, it starts with me, and, and, and it's a reflection of God's love because God's love for his people, God's love for the world is an unconditional love. It is an agape love, and it means that he loves everybody, and there's nothing you can do about it. There's nothing you can do. God is going to love you no matter what. You can, no matter how bad you are, no matter where you go, no matter what you do, God is loving you. In fact, right now, where you're sitting, God is loving you at this very moment. God loves you. And this is the kind of love this is what love does. This is what love is all about. It is this unconditional love. And this is the kind of love we're supposed to have for each other in the church. The kind of love we're supposed to have for each other in our families is this unconditional love. Now, the other thing that you probably can't pick up on in the English that is there in the uh, Greek uh, is the idea that all of these attributes of love, love is patient, love is kind, they're all verbs in the Greek. They're all verbs. So it's not that love is patient. Love does patience love does kindness so it's not just what love is it's what love does and love is an action verb love is something that we have to put into action it's not something that we can just sit back and go oh yeah i love you i noticed something i was watching uh election returns last night on television i won't tell you which channel i was watching um as i was actually watching two uh, but I was watching the election returns, and one of the presidential candidates gets up uh, and uh, was giving a speech. And I noticed something about this presidential candidate. He loves everything. And he loves everybody. And it made me, he's like, we love you, and we love you, and we love these people, we love those people, we love this, we love that, we love everything is love, 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 love. And I thought to myself, it sounds so disingenuous. It sounds so fake. 
And I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to be fake when it comes to my love. I don't want to fake love. I want love to be something that I do. And I want it to be real. I don't want to just say, oh, I love you guys, and I love this, and I love that. No, I, and, I, and when I say this, I mean this. I love you guys. I love my church. And I don't mean my church building. I don't mean chairs and carpet. I don't mean lights, and I don't mean uh, screens, and I don't mean a job. I love you. And I pray for my church family. I pray for you because I love you. And I want that to be real coming from me. And I want you to feel that. And I hope you do. Because I do love you. So when it comes to love, like I said, love is not just something that we say. Love is something that we do. And in this passage, we see all these different characteristics of love and what love does. And one of the things that love does, I want to break these down individually for just a few minutes. Love is patient. You know, when we... Well, I tell people about patience and stuff. I always, I never, I rarely, rarely, rarely advise people to pray for patience. Don't pray for patience, okay? Unless you really, really mean it. Because God will put every slow driver in your way, on the way to work, if you pray for patience. Lord, give me patience. Where are these people going that they have no sense of urgency to get there? I will be in front of you on the highway if you pray for patience because I don't speed very much. <laughs> I know you're in a hurry, but I want to be safe. So, but one of the things that we need to pray for is pray that we would be more patient with our love, to be more patient with our families, because love is patient. Love is kind. Do you know what love does in a family? Love does nice things. Love is kind. Love is kind towards your siblings. Love is kind towards your parents. Love is kind toward your children and grandchildren. Love is expressed in kindness and doing nice things for people. And that's not always easy, is it? Your spouse upsets you in some way, the last thing you want to do. Something nice for them. I don't want to do anything nice for her. I don't want to do anything nice for him. He's being an idiot right now. I don't feel like being nice to him not about what you feel it's what love does love does kindness love is patient love is kind it does not envy there are two ways that love can envy love does not envy there are two ways that we can envy <coughs> excuse me one is i can be jealous of what somebody else has i'm jealous of what they have or i'm angry that they have it and i don't want them to have it either way is jealousy and love is not jealous Love rejoices for the other person and cares about them, doesn't envy what they have. It does not boast, it is not proud. There is no pride in love. Love is not arrogant. Arrogance is ugly. Pride is ugly. Pride is saying, I deserve this and I want this and this is for me. It's very selfish. It's all about me. Me, me, me. Pride. Arrogance. I'm better than you. Love does not do that. It is not rude. Love is not rude. Love is gentle and humble and puts other people first. Love is not self-seeking. 
Again, love puts others first. In our Tuesday afternoon Bible study, we're doing a Bible study through the book of Philippians. We meet on Tuesdays at 1 o'clock. You're more than welcome to join us. Uh, Tuesdays at 1, we have our Bible study. We're talking about how uh, this week we talked about Philippians chapter 2 and what the Bible says about humility and putting others before yourself. And you put other people's needs before your wants. You consider other people better than yourself. That's what love does. Love is not self-seeking, but rather love seeks the best for others. Uh, love is not easily angered. Love doesn't lose its temper. It's not what love does. Love restrains. Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Do you know what love does? Love forgives. Love forgives. Love says, I'm sorry. Love asks, will you forgive me? Love forgives. That's not always easy. Whether it's your home family, whether it's a church family, whether it is your brother or your sister or your mom or your dad, your grandma, your grandpa, your kids, love says, I'm sorry, and then love says, I forgive you. That's hard. We don't want to hear that about love. <laughs> I don't want love. No, no, no. I'll do all the other things, but we'll talk about that in a second. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love is honest, even when it doesn't want to be. Love is honest. Love does not keep secrets. Secrets equal shame. Love says, I will not keep any secrets. I will be honest. Love does not lie. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails love doesn't give up love keeps persevering and pressing on and keeps going even when it's hard love doesn't give up love never fails now Max Lucado is a great author one of my heroes and uh, I tell you what I love what he does with this passage he says take out the word love and put in the name Jesus because Jesus is patient Jesus is kind Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus never fails. And when you think about it, that's who Jesus is. Jesus is love. The Bible tells us that God is love in the book of 1 John. Over and over, God is love. God is love. We see his love demonstrated in our world day in and day out. And the ultimate example, the ultimate demonstration of his love was his son Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. That he took the punishment that our sins deserve so that we could be forgiven. And if we'll put our faith and trust in Jesus by believing in him, repenting from our sins, confessing our faith and being baptized, that God will forgive our sins. He will wash them clean when we call on the name of the Lord. And he welcomes us into his family. And you experience that love that never fails that comes from Jesus. One of the other things that Max says that we should do with this passage is take out the word love, take out the name of Jesus and put your own name in it. You want to be like Jesus? Put your name in this passage. Sean is patient. Sean is, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Love doesn't lie. <laughs> and if Sean says those things, he's lying. Because Sean is not patient. <laughs> 7.45 on a Sunday morning, Sean is not patient. Any other time of the week, Sean is not patient. Sean has no patience. Sean is not kind. Sean can be a clod. Sean can be a real jerk. And you're thinking, no way, not my Pastor Sean. Your Pastor Sean can be a real jerk. Can say things that are mean. 
can do things that are not nice. Sean can be a jerk. Sean fails. Oh, yes. Sean keeps a record of wrongs sometimes. Sean doesn't always forgive. I can't put my name in there because it's not true. But if I want to be like Jesus, that is my list. That is what I need to do. That is what I need to look like. One of the things that our book that, I, that I'm preaching through right now is talking about is, is how one of the rules of love, one of the laws of love is that the law, uh, it's a law that love speaks truth. And so if I'm going to be honest, if I'm going to be truthful, I've got to say I have work to do when it comes to loving other people. But there are seven timeless truths that I want to impart to you today that we need to impart to our families. Seven truths that we need to model and communicate to our families. And um, uh, one of the things I've heard is that values are caught more than they're taught. And when you think about it, it's true that the lessons in life that we learn are things that we see in other people more than just them lecturing to us, right? As I stand up here lecturing to you. Um, but one of the things that we learn is, th one of the ways that we learn is by watching other people and by being mentored by other people. So when it comes to teaching these timeless truths to your family, these are things that we need to model for our children and our grandchildren. Maybe even you need to model them for your parents or your siblings. And so how can we model these seven truths? I just want to go through these biblical truths that we need to model for our families. The first one is, is that we need to tell the truth. The first truth is we need to tell the truth. We need to teach our kids to tell the truth. Because we live in a world full of lies, right? Again, it's election season. How many of you feel like you're going to get lied to over the next eight and a half months? I'm going to get lied to. They're going to say, I'm going to do this. No, you're not. I'm going to do that. No, you're not. I promise you this. Please don't. It ain't going to happen. No, in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, in the Ten Commandments, God said, you must not testify falsely against your neighbor. In other words don't lie very simply do not bear false testimony against your neighbor it just simply means don't lie be truthful teach your kids to tell the truth teach your families to tell the truth number two honor your parents we need to teach our kids to honor their parents and their grandparents and we need to be people who honor our parents even if your parents aren't here with you anymore how can you honor their legacy and maybe it's by teaching your kids to do things that they did, that they taught you. Or maybe it might be even be teaching your kids not to do the things that they did. But we need to honor our parents. Exodus twenty twelve says, Honor your father and mother, then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And one of the cool things about that passage, about that commandment, is that the New Testament says it's the first commandment with a promise. And the promise is that God will bless you if you honor your parents. Number three, love one another. We need to teach our kids to love one another. 1 John 3.18 says, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. We need to teach our kids to be loving, to love each other, in, in our, and to love their families. So we need to exemplify that. We need to model that, that love for others uh, in our lives so that they will catch that value and that they will be loving people. The world, would anybody disagree with this statement? The world needs less love. Wait a minute, did I say that right? Would you agree with the estate? The world needs more love, right? I'm going to quit trying to be cute. I'm just going to tell you, the world needs more love. We need to raise up loving children who love other people, who uh, love them despite their differences, no matter what their differences may be. It may be uh, skin color. It may be uh, gender. It may be uh, lifestyle differences. 
their job is not to uh, condemn anybody. Their job is to love everybody. Because that's what God does. And that's what love does. We love people. That's what the church does. Number four, to do your best. Colossians 3.23 says, Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. We need to teach our kids to work hard and to do their best. Not to just glide by, not to just slide by, but rather to do their very best. We need to teach our kids and teach our families um, to do their very best. That means we have to do our best every day to work for the Lord like we're working for Jesus rather than working for a human being, rather than working for an employer to look at your job, to look at your life as though you are working for the Lord. If Jesus was your foreman, what kind of job would you do? Good question. Number five, be patient. Ephesians 4, 2 says, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Sometimes we've got to put up with each other. Let's face it. Being in the church is hard. Sometimes, you know, being in a family is hard. And we've got to put up with each other. We've got to bear with each other. And that's what that means. Is, I mean, I've got to bear with you. It means I'm, I'm not enjoying your presence right now. I'm not enjoying your company right now. But I'm going to bear with you. I'm going to be patient with you. Because we're all works in progress. Has anybody arrived? Has anybody got it all figured out? No. We're all works in progress. God is still working on us. Bringing about to completion the work that he has began in each one of us. So we are going to be patient with each other. And that means modeling that. In the things that we say, in the things that we do, in the, things that, in the way that we live, we need to model patience. Number six, be thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Is there anything worse than a little punk kid who takes everything for granted and feels like they deserve everything and is unthankful, ungrateful? <laughs> Brandon's doing this. <laughs> a little punk kid who thinks that the world owes them everything. Do any of you know anyone like this? No, 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 no. We're not saying names. <laughs> We're not calling out anyone. People who take everything for granted and are not thankful. I mean, we teach our kids at a very young age, right? What do you say? Thank you, right? You know, it's like somebody gives them a dollar. What do you say? What do you say? What do you say? We teach our kids this, but we don't model it ourselves. We just kind of forget to be thankful people. So we need to be thankful if we want our kids to be thankful. Finally, number seven to never give up. James 1.12 says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. We need to teach our kids to never give up. That things are going to come that are going to get in their way, that are going to get in their path, and it's going to make it hard. The kid, our kids, our families, your wife, your, your, your significant other, your husband, uh, your kids, your grandkids, they need to know that life is hard. Right? Life is hard. It's not easy. There may be easy times that come. There may be times of rest and maybe, okay, you know, life is going pretty good right now. But for the most part, life is hard. And our default is to say, <laughs> I'm checking out. I'm giving up. I don't care anymore. Uh, I'm no longer doing this. I'm going to give in. I'm going to throw in the towel. We need to teach our kids not to throw in the towel. We need to teach our kids and teach our families not to give up, to keep persevering, to keep pressing on, to keep going, even when things get hard even when things get tough. We need to teach our kids to keep going. One of the things we need to teach our kids when it comes to this is we need to keep, teach our kids how to suffer, how to suffer well, because life is suffering sometimes. Sometimes we have to suffer in life. 
It may be an illness. It may be, uh, it may be a, a disease. Uh, it could be um, a, a, the, a loss of a job or a relationship. It could be the loss of, of a loved one who passes away. Life is full of suffering sometimes. And we don't, if we don't teach our kids to suffer well and how to persevere through that and how your world is not going to completely cave in, if we don't teach our kids that, then, then we're not doing them any favors. They grow up to believe that everything is, uh, that the world owes them something, that everybody owes them something. And that's not the case. We need to teach our kids how to suffer and to suffer well so that they have the, the wherewithal to keep going even when life gets hard. So those are seven timeless truths that we need to model for our kids, that we need to teach and impart to our children. And, and here's my challenge for you this week. This is what I want you to do. Would you, do, would you take just 10 minutes, 10 minutes, and, and write a letter to someone you love? Write a letter to your children. Write a letter to your spouse or to your parents. Even if your parents aren't here anymore, put your thoughts down in paper for how you appreciate them and how you love them and how you're thankful for them. And maybe impart some truth to them uh, that you've heard this morning. And, and so this, and, and I know this might be a challenge. They have these things, they're called pens. And there's this stuff called paper. And you can actually take a pen and write on the paper. And then you can give it to someone and it's called a letter. Crazy, I know. Take some time put some thoughts down on paper, write a letter to your children or write a letter to your spouse or write a letter to your parents and just say, you know what, I'm thankful for you and I want to know, I want you to know this, that my heart, that I love you and that I care for you and I really hope that you're learning from my life some important lessons and just take some time to think about those people who you love and care about in your family and just write them a letter this week to encourage them because Let's face it, the world needs more encouragement and the world needs more love. So how can you add to that this week in the lives of the people that you love the most? How can you be that lightning bug to your family?